a dynamic landscape and a changing world. Around the middle of the 3rd millennium BC, Ireland saw the arrival of new people and new technology with the introduction of copper and then bronze working. Edeklund saw changes too, seen in both the environmental record and in the archaeological record. The fen had developed into a raised bog, and in the early Bronze Age, this saw another dramatic change. One of the things I looked at in terms of the gross stratigraphy at Ederclune was um, I noticed there was this incredibly sharp transition and a change in peace that wasn't typical between um, the fen and the raised bog peats above it. And just in some areas I was going, that's not normal. That's not a typical transition. And which I would then interpret it as being, okay, something's moved. This area has been truncated, something's gone. And then in looking at the, the, the tested amoebae, which help uh, reconstruct um, the uh, bog surface wetness, I could see that because there was a change in the species, in the microfauna, that the environment changed and it changed really quickly and dramatically. So instead of having a relatively diverse um, type of fauna that liked particular wet conditions, it just changed, bam, to a type of fauna that liked very, very dry conditions. And that also, so all of that tied in to show that this bog had undergone this cataclysmic uh, event. So if, if you want to think about the earlier part of the Bronze Age um, in Ederclue, um, you there's, there's basically been a raised bog has been in development for some time. And raised bogs are enormous water management systems. And raised bogs, as a result, can become uh, saturated and oversaturated. So they can basically become too full. And if it gets to a stage where they cannot manage the water that is coming into the system, which we must remember is of from above, it's all from, they're fed by precipitation, by rainfall. If it cannot manage that water adequately, the only place for it to go is out and the bog will burst. So sort of like a massive landslide. So the thing about raised bogs is you're gonna have these miniature little bursts all over the place at all lots and lots of different times, like from very, very small scale to then these massive events in which um, tons and tons of peat will basically be shifted. The surface will be turned upside down, lumps of peat will move. If there are any alder trees or birch trees standing in the way, they're gone. They're, they're going to be pushed over. Um, and you can be then left with a very uneven, um, irregular, dangerous uh, surface, which um, most people, if they had any sense, would stay away from. We can only wonder what any witnesses might have thought of what must have been a shocking event. However, the pollen preserved in this bog at Ederclune does give us clues as to human activity around its edges. As we move into the Bronze Age, we start to see evidence for disturbance. So the, the tree pollen are fluctuating, they're coming and they're going. And that suggests there is human activity affecting the, the surrounding area. Um, Unlike other areas, we don't see large-scale clearance in the Middle Bronze Age and the Late Bronze Age. And Ederclune is very unusual in that respect because 
elsewhere we're starting to see a much bigger impact. A uh, lot more farming in the pollen records in other areas of Ireland, but not at Eder Clune. This lack of evidence for farming activity in the pollen record for late Bronze Age Ederclune might suggest that there were fewer people in the area. However, that stands in contrast to the archaeological evidence excavated by Cathy and her team. So the centuries of, of the late Bronze Age at Ederclune were the start of a really um, unusual and very specific kind of phase of construction out in the bog. And it coincided with a drier period in the general climate. And I suppose the bog was more accessible to the people and they came out uh, to build a large number of structures there. So the period at Ederclune is characterised by the building of several really large trackways. They're all built to about over a metre in depth and the dating evidence from from them suggests that they were episodically or periodically rebuilt over multiple centuries. So that in itself is unusual. But what's also unusual about these big sites is that we have three very large structures all running north-south, sort of following the same orientation um, in very close proximity. So... That in itself, it's unusual to have so many large sites in such close proximity. But what's also unusual is their north-south orientation. So at Ederclune, the dry land is about 50 or 60 metres to the east. But these trackways are ignoring that and they're running within the bog. They're heading up to the north into the wider expanse of Ray's bog. So the level of activity that's represented by the trackways and the, the platforms at Ederclune isn't reflected in the pollen record, which is extremely interesting in itself because it's it's showing us that that activity is taking place without a a level of intensive agriculture in the surrounding area. Um, And it makes us maybe look again at at why these sites are being constructed because they're not simply functional sites to help people who are living right up at the edge of the bog. They're obviously being put there for other purposes. The archaeology may well give us a glimpse of these other purposes. The late Bronze Age saw the beginning of an unusual pattern of deposition of artefacts within and beneath the trackways. A wide-ranging selection of objects were selected for burial in a very structured way. So the deposition of artefacts at Ederclune is probably one of the most striking and unusual aspects of the complex and there really are no parallels for the way artefacts were buried at Ederclune. Artefacts are commonly found in trackway excavations. Uh, You always find something, one or two pieces, and sometimes you find a large number of objects. And generally they are interpreted as things that have been used, broken, discarded, and they're being uh, thrown in as foundation material or just another piece of wood to throw into the trackway. But at Eder Clune, what we encountered was very structured deposition. So, for example, in the bottom of Eder Clune 5, which is a large late Bronze Age trackway, there was an object buried every metre to eight metre and a half along the base of that site. So that's really unusual and it's, it, there's very much a clear pattern. Again, in, the, in other sites, in the other sites of the late Bronze Age and Iron Age, the artefacts were generally concentrated in certain areas at the convergence of different structures or in certain parts of the site. And again, the artefacts are predominantly deposited in the sites. The deposition begins in the late Bronze Age and continues into the early Iron Age. So it's very much part of what's happening at Ederclune at that time. And although some of the things are broken and well used, some of them were never used. So... There's a whole range in there, so I think it's very much a deliberate act. 
trackways by their nature are transient sites. They are sites that people pass through. They're not settlements and burials or graves where we anticipate as archaeologists that we will find a lot of um, material culture. So to find so many in, in such a structured way at either Clune, it's definitely, you know, people are bringing those things deliberately out to the bog because they're not living there. They're coming out to build these sites and they're bringing those objects with them throughout many centuries in specific sites and in specific locations. So it is clearly very deliberate. One group of artefacts uncovered at Edeklun posed quite a puzzle until archaeological wood expert Inglis found the answer surprisingly close to home. One of the more remarkable finds of Edeklun was what we now call a walking stick. Uh, it was made from hazel and I did not understand it, nor did Cathy understand it. And we were thinking about it for a long time. Um, it was basically a straight piece which looked like it was contorted. Um, and I thought first that that was done on purpose. Maybe there was some kind of training involved by training two pieces of hazel together and eventually they grew together. That happens uh, with other speeches, but I have had never seen it in this way. And we found six of those uh, elements uh, in trackway uh, EDC 5 and EDC 26. Um, they all look very, very similar. So, as I said, like first uh, couple of years, I really had the idea this was done on purpose. Um, this was trained and this was remarkably uh, well polished and uh, it looked like a beautiful piece of art almost. And then very many <laughs> years later, I saw a walking stick hanging from the wall of my parents-in-law. Uh, that was when the coin drops it, but that's it. And I took it from the wall and that was exactly uh, like the elements we had from either clone. That was a walking stick. It was about 100 years old, had exactly the same pattern. But it was not a trained piece of wood. This was from a single piece of hazel uh, with a beautiful, like almost a line going around it. Uh, a few years later, I met a man in Holland who sold those things in market. And he is the only uh, um, walking stick maker, the Holstock maker in Holland. He's actually so unique that he's in, the, in an inventory of uh, national heritage in Holland. And we came in discussion, it is Jan Mil Milmink, and uh, he showed me various of his instruments and also explained how he collects them, how he finds them and how he makes them. Um, I'm absolutely convinced, as well as he is, that it's part of a very old tradition in Holland, it's hundreds of years old, only in one distinct part of the country. Uh, since I found out that it can be found in other countries as well, uh, in England, um, after the publication of Ida Klune, we actually were contacted by people in Germany and France as well, who suddenly, <laughs> they pop out everywhere. It's really, really impressive. And uh, the way they are formed is naturally. It's hazel, but it can also be other pieces of wood, around which a plant grows, the honeysuckle. And honeysuckle is also called woodbine. That is because it grows up, it follows the sun in a circle around the stem, grows uh, very fast and over the years uh, hardens and squeezes itself into the wood. 
so much so that sometimes it disappears into the wood. You can't see it anymore. And then it suddenly comes out again. Uh, so it looks like it is twined around a piece of wood, but actually it is a parasite which squeezes the wood to suit its own purposes as a kind of like uh, a ladder to reach up towards the sun. The process of making these walking sticks today is a long one that takes a few years. It involves cutting the wood, drying it, exposing the woodbine, removing bark, polishing and applying lacquer. The process would have been very similar in the Bronze Age. It's quite unique profession. Uh, it's not only a walking stick, it has, in Holland it has really many ceremonial purposes as well, because it's not common. As well as giving us an insight into woodworking and perhaps also the significance of these walking sticks, these fascinating artefacts also tell us about yet another aspect of the lives of the people living near Ederkloon and how they interacted with their natural environment. The hazel and the woodbine have sort of to grow at the same speed to make this beautiful, regular uh, curves. So it sort of gives the suggestion that the landscape was harvested on a regular interval that uh, gave... It's like, like cutting down the brambles. If you cut down brambles, they start growing vigorously, faster and faster. A similar for the hazel and for the woodbine. If you harvest them on a regular interval, they come back with absolutely much power and strength and shoot up in the air very, very fast. So it tells me that on the dry land there must have been um, um, a civilization or a grouping of people who managed woodland for their purposes. That means that they had a piece of wood which they set apart um, for generations, which they manage, manage for their purposes, for whatever purposes they do. Otherwise this would not occur. The wheels found at Ederkloon are important in their own right but they also point towards a theme of continuity of tradition at Ederclun. So we found the remains of three wheels in three separate trackways at Ederclun. Now that in itself was unusual because it is the first excavation that has produced wheels in association with trackways. But it's unusual for other reasons because none of the trackways at Ederclun were actually suitable for wheeled vehicles. So the earliest wheel we found was a section of a block wheel which was buried in the base of a late Bronze Age trackway. So to describe it, it's like a very large, um, approximately C-shaped piece of wood. It's massive. It's just over a metre in length. And like I say, it's like a, a, an imperfect C-shape and it's imperfect because the outer edge of the curve is not complete. And there appears to have been an error during its manufacture that they miscalculated the amount of wood they needed or the size that they were trying to carve. And they essentially weren't able to finish the curve. So it became buried in the base of the trackway, whether, uh, well, the reason for that is, is debatable, but that's where it ended up. It never became a wheel. It was never finished. The other wheel fragments from Ederclune are really quite different. One of them was found, again, in the late Bronze Age levels of a trackway, and it is best described, I suppose, like a fragment of an iron tyre or a wheel rim or what could be known as a fellow. So it's like a very small carved all piece of alder wood um, with a groove on the inner surface and there are small dowels through it. Now, the block wheel was never finished and it was never used, but this little wheel fragment actually ha was really worn on the outside and had gravel embedded in the surface. So this clearly had been used before it was found at Ederclune. 
And then finally, the third piece is a small fragment of another wheel rim or fellow. And it's, it's like the previous one, but this one was made of ash. And again, it had a gravel embedded in the outer surface, so it had been used as a wheel. But funnily enough, or surprisingly, it came from an early medieval site. So there's a very long chronological span, a chronological tradition, maybe, of uh, burying fragments of wheels at Ederclun. Throughout the Iron Age, the track building and artefact deposition patterns continued at Ederclun. The Iron Age is a rather enigmatic period where archaeological evidence is scant. So Ederclun represents an important opportunity to cast light on this era. Artefacts from peatlands in Ireland typically are single finds that have been found over many years of peat cutting. Um, when there are organised excavations, there, um, there have been sites like Anaholti and Corlea which have provide, uh, produced notable assemblages um, and Clunciana in, in Roscommon. Uh, but these are a small number of sites and the quality of the material that we find, we don't have well uh, documented Iron Age settlements or Iron Age uh, burials which are producing rich artefacts. Uh, these are the best evidence for any of this in the country. Um, Cathy and I recently had a conversation with a leading Iron Age specialist in Ireland who was saying if it wasn't for these type sites we would not have this evidence uh, to have a frank discussion about what is the earliest wheel in Ireland um, what, how did it function how, how early does it go and how that then ties into a whole range of other discussions that are going on about international parallels um, you just have no alternative but to turn to these sources for these sites so they're remarkably important in that sense Three examples of a very rare artefact type dating to the Iron Age were found at Ederclun. We found three spears in total in one trackway which is dated to the Iron Age. Now spears are, spear shafts are very rarely found in Irish archaeology. I can think of very, very few examples that I've seen or that I know of. But two of the spears were made from yew and they were beautiful, long, uh, very finely, finely pointed pieces of yew which had been smoothed along their length. Both of them were buried in quite close proximity in the base of an Iron Age trackway. But what was interesting is that neither of them showed any evidence for having been used. So the tips were finely, finely pointed, but both of them had been snapped in half prior to deposition. One had been broken cleanly into two pieces and the other had been bent as if somebody had put it over their knee and tried to snap it, but it failed, but it was torn. So they had been rendered useless before they were buried in the site. Then the third spear from the same site was quite different. That was made from oak and that was carved from a much larger section. And that would be actually a bit more typical of a spear shaft. Towards the end of the Iron Age, trackway construction seems to have stopped. Or did it? This is one of the questions that has challenged our specialists. Looking at that question, why did trackway construction come to an end in the Iron Age? I don't know, really. That's probably the, the fairest answer, is that there, there have bound to be, as you said, there's bound to have been changes on the bog, changes in the local environment. People might have wanted to do different things in different places. For all we know, they could have shifted 100 metres down the lake, you know, or the edge of the bog, and we just haven't seen this um, gap or we haven't we just can't see their activity in the record at this particular location it doesn't mean they weren't 50 meters away or 150 meters away they could have been but they just for some whatever reason they were no longer building trackways or laying down trackways at the end of the iron age in this part of Ederclune 